Welcome back to Industry Town. Today's guest is Karsten Kropanik, the editor of major motion pictures like 2019's Rambo, Last Blood, Benji, and the upcoming, God, I'm so excited for this, Kung Fury 2. Karsten came up the ranks assisting on some gigantic movies like David Fincher's World War Z, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows, and Money Monster from George Clooney. So he has a wealth of information, and it was uh, really interesting hearing about his kind of rise through the editing editorial ranks. I really enjoyed this talk, along with him just being the best dude on the planet. He really lifts a curtain on what uh, life is like as an editor, the day-to-day, how you rise through the ranks, and uh, the little bits of wisdom he's picked up along the way, or lots of bits of wisdom. I asked him uh, how new filmmakers should evaluate editors demo reels and how they should hire them uh we also had a nice long talk about what he wishes actors were taught in school and in training programs that make them easier to cut so all that is super interesting and we also talk about the emotional alchemy that happens when moments are edited together in just uh the best way this episode as per usual is sponsored by our presenting sponsor john rosenfeld studios and by horrible haikus uh we really appreciate you listening and hope that if you dig today's episode you will share the show with a friend, uh, hit us up on social media, or give us a review on iTunes. Lastly, I wanted to announce that in honor of today's Academy Award nominations, Industry Town is going to be doing a big Oscar pool for the show, and we're going to have a fun prize for whoever wins. So stay tuned for more details on that, but plan on sending in your ballots. And for now, here's Karsten. Lock it up, very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. Okay, we are up to speed. Karsten Kupernick, welcome to Industry Town. Did I say it right? Did I say oh, it? Kupernick. 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 Kupernick in German. Wait, but say that again in German. Kupernick. Um, but I like panic. It's just kind of create that just intense, just panic at the heart of it. <laughs> exactly. Um, thank you for coming to, onto the podcast. I understand this is your first time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you, and I'm thrilled to get be the first one to get to interview you. Um, <laughs> uh, it'll all get hit in the intro about you know what you do and things like that. But tell me, how did you get started as an editor? How did I get started? Um, it basically started at Ball State University in college. Basically, like we, I was going, I was a foreign exchange student at Ball State in Indiana and go into the telecommunications department and we did short films and music videos and someone's ha- someone had to cut it and I just really kind of naturally gravitated to um, um, editing the it was Final Cut and Avid back then and so you were there as a director I was there as a student um, just in general a telecommunication I was studying film studies in Germany which was very theatric um, like theoretical okay. it was all about just like reading writing talking about films so anal- analyzing David Lynch movies and what they mean you know <laughs> Like Freudian theory or whatever, and then I come. Okay, to, we're gonna have to have you back. We'll do like yeah, an entire podcast breaking else. down oh, Mulholland Drive. I forgot I all know. of that. It was it was very non-practical. It was all in your head basically. And then telecommunications studies and a TCOM in at Ball State was all here's a camera, go shoot, do something. And it was a great place to to try things out, to fail, to learn. You know, there was no pressure. It was just like it was just a really great 
like playground. What and brought you uh, all the way to Ball State in Indiana? <laughs> it was money. <laughs> money. <laughs> it was the money. The answer to most questions in life is money. Um, in this case, it was my my university in Mainz in Germany had uh, an exchange program with Ball State, so I was able to study um, two semesters for free, which was appealing because you know, as you know. American colleges are expensive. Oh man, especially if you want to do anything that includes yeah. any kind of communications yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. So, had you directed or edited at all before you were at Ball State? I, I I I did one little short before I went to Ball State, which was with a like a video camera, like a consumer camera, and my roommate and his girlfriend, and we were it was all set in a car, and we were just driving around, and I was cutting it together. But that was the only thing. Um, I, I I remember that I had my aha moment with that. It was like there was a moment that was in between takes and we were waiting at a stoplight for the car to roll again because that was, it was supposed to be driving. And they were, you know, they were kind of flirting with each other in real life. So there was chemistry and I filmed something and it was a smile that he had in response to something she said unrelated to the movie. But I used that take later. I, I made in the short film. It's not a good short film, not to say that. But um, I basically made the car stop in the short film and used a line of dialogue and had that like real reaction, that real smile, and put it in to forge a, a movie moment, you know? And it was for me sort of like, oh my God, you have two completely meaningless images that are unrelated to another. That line and that take of him smiling did not in real life in any way correlate. And then you put them together and you create meaning. You create an emotion. You create something. And that constructive ness of editing is was very appealing to me you're putting it together when you're on set and all the actors know like you're on set and it's very disjointed like you have to sometimes do a scene from very late in the movie and the next setup you suddenly in the front of the movie and you're you completely have to shift and find your way um, where you are at the very moment. It's a very disjointed experience. And um, the nice thing in editing is like it all comes together. It's still for part disjointed, but it comes together. So rank these for me in terms of how appealing they are to you in the editing. One is control. <laughs> very, Two, very much so. Right. Let's be honest. <laughs> Two would be, it seems like you were really taken with a private moment, something authentic and private yeah, yeah. And that you were able to all of a sudden really highlight and show meaning. So there's something about yeah. true human behavior yeah. would be would be number two. And three, that idea of just the alchemy, the alchemy of, of these moments that didn't have anything to do with each other, but I put them together in a certain way and now it means something to people. Out of those three, what's the, what's the hierarchy for you? Well, I think the control thing, that's just an underlying personality trait, I think. In, in, it's I, very German too, right? It, well, there's a lot of editors that are not German, but but there is a perf a perfectionist streak, and that's definitely in a lot of editors, and most and all of them. <laughs> you have to be kind of perfectionist if you want to be successful because yeah. you can't give up. You have to work it until you you get there in a way. And editing um, feels like the most the final turn of the screw is the yeah, hardest and most yeah, important. Yeah, it's, it's very detailed work and, in that regard. And but anyway, so but so control is is one thing, but but it it is just something gratifying because. I have a very left and right brain balance. I am technical. I'm very cerebral. Cerebral is the right word. Yep. Um, basically, I do. I did study film studies, so I do analyze a lot. But at the same time, I can watch a movie like a Peter Anna's movie, Magnolia, and I can my my left brain says like, oh my god, 
this is like I'm, I'm crying on my right. I don't know which side is the um, right side's creative. Right side is creative. So my right right side makes me cry watching the scene, and my left side. This was an awesome shot. Oh my god, I can do that basically at the same time, which is kind of interesting, and it is, lends itself perfectly to to editing because I, I I have to perform something technical, but it is based in emotion. And if I do my job right, I make first myself feel something, and then hopefully an audience, at first a director and a producer feels the same thing, and then you know if it, if you do it right, it stays in the movie that way. Or obviously someone gives you notes and you have to adjust and things like that. But um, but it, like it's creating an emotion, creating um, creating something you would want to see yourself that's like, so, as an audience. It's you know? so interesting because we we hear that from actors a lot and I, I'm thinking it's just true creatively is that moment when you touch your own soul a little bit and you're like ooh yeah. I like that yeah. I really do that makes my heart beat a little bit that makes me feel something and uh, and being able to base it all off of that it does seem the people who are most successful are able to they've developed their aesthetic enough to know what does make them feel something what they like or yeah. at least that they can recognize it when it shows up and then that ends up carrying kind of the day. Yeah. I'm wondering, how did you train as an editor? Is this something that you um, just pick up yourself? Is this, how do you, how do you do it? Well, uh, there's, there's definitely just watching and absorbing movies all your life is a big step. I think that goes for acting as well. It's like, and it's just like knowing, um, instinctively the film language because you've seen it so often. So, you know, um, set pieces, why, things work and how things are kind of created then obviously studying it more theoretically there was a foundation then you know there's montage theory obviously Eisenstein and other things there's the Kaleshov effect with act- actors usually know I don't know if you know that one I don't know the Tell Kaleshov me. effect is basically there was a Russian Kaleshov um, um, he, he basically um, took um, an actor's performance that was just a close-up and put it in context with different things. One was a, a bowl of soup. One was a, a, a casket. One was just—I uh, forgot what it was. Like it's I, do mi- know a, a I woman, don't know the name for it, yeah, but yeah. yes. And and then the then they showed basically these these constructs to the to an audience, and they would praise the actor's performance, how subtle he portrayed hunger and and lust and um, you know fear or whatever it was. Like oh, it's the and sadness, grief, and things like that. But the performance didn't change. It was the same take every single time. So there is this little contrast. But that that's part of um, just like montage theory that exists. And I did study that in, in college in a way. But the on-job um, training that you get when you start as an assistant editor, that's probably the most influential. Because it's not just about editing. It's about like techniques that you don't know, that there's tricks to the trade, just like acting too, where you have to, you know, learn how to do sound effects work, how to do temp scoring, how to, how there are tricks in editing. A simple example would be, for example, if you cut from a close-up to a wide shot, that you overcut two frames, as if you, you can, you can look at any action scene that is cut by a big editor, you, if you go frame by frame, you will see that basically if the, the fist comes swinging and it cuts to the wide shot for the, the next part, the impact. That, that there will be, first, it will go back two frames so you see a little bit more of that fist again because I will need two frames to adjust and know where you are so when you watch it in real time it looks like it's a perfect match but actually if you step through it it's not those are things that either some of people some people discover that instinctively some people just get taught I had a great mentor I had multiple great mentors um 
Laurie Jane Coleman being the main mentor who really taught me editing, and she wrote a book about it. It's like it's called um, 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 and well, first make the cut for assistant editors, and um, uh, jump cut is the one about editing rules. And I shouldn't say that even out loud because all my secrets are in there, um, her secrets that are not my secrets. Um, but yeah, there, she has a lot of she can verbalize a lot of the actual editing rules that she has or guidelines, if you will. They're not like it's all not like written in stone, but it gets you to a place quicker if you have some ideas of and strategies when to cut and how to cut. What was your like natural talent at editing? Where where did that kind of your superpower show? My up? my superpower is um, number one is like I said is probably my my perfect balance between technicality and emotion. Empathy is probably my superpower. I think you um, as an editor you have to understand emotion. You have to f be able to, what we always say, read the room. Like you, We have to be good in a room personally um, because you have to deal with a lot of personalities in Hollywood. There's big producers, big actors, big directors. And um, if you don't know how to behave or how to read a room, you can step on people's toes and it will make your career be short. You know, it's funny you, know? you say that because I actually sometimes when I'm getting ready to do one of these, I'll outsource. Uh, you know, do you have any questions for this guy to someone else? And uh, I asked Patrick Kavanaugh. Yeah. I said, Pat, do you have any questions for Karsten? And he said, Yeah. How is he so fucking nice? <laughs> That's literally what he led with. Patrick is like the nicest guy. He is one of the nicest guys <laughs> in the world too, which makes me think he's he's got a secret. Uh, no, but do you feel like you? Um, do you feel like you have to work at all at being you? You are oh, yeah. easy to talk to. You are you are easy to meet. Um, some people are are not that easy in this industry. And do you feel like that? How much of that is just natural, and how much of that is something you feel like you cultivated? Um, absolutely. I I I, I hope. Um, yeah. Thank you for the compliment. I I I, I do feel that. Personality is the hardest to change, and I, I run this um, internship for editing, American Cinema Editors Internship Program, which I was an intern in 2008, and I'm now the director of it. And we see these younglings come from college, younglings now. <laughs> I was an intern yeah, we're 11 years now. ago. It's like no, it's time flies. But um, but we see them now, and 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 there is we either say you're too big for the room or you're too small for the room, and you got to find like a perfect balance. I'm technically too big for the room um, knowing that I'm too big for the room I'm I'm also able to adjust like we all wear masks we all have different personalities based on the situation when you go for example you go to church you will behave differently when you go to your parents you behave differently when you go to your uh, boyfriend girlfriends sure. um, parents it's like you 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 have different sides of we your modify. personality show based on where you are and obviously that's something that you have to, to do on the job as well and this might be a little bit more um um important in my line of work but I often actually compare it to being um, uh, in the service industry as, an, as a waiter or waitress um, there is the ones that get the best tips are the ones that are easy to talk to that are very um, personable but not too overbearing not oversharing mm -hmm. and and they could have the most terrible day in a private setting but they will go to your table and they will make you feel like you're the most important person in this restaurant and it will take care of you and and then they get a good tip and if you can't ask them like how much of that is being professional and part of your job and how much is disposition like is them it's a it's a very it's a very 
Was that easy for you to mine. accept that that was a big part of the job? Because I know I meet a lot of actors who just want the work to be all of it, mm-hmm. and they don't want to have to meet anybody, and they don't want to have to, I mean, I think they'd call it like tap dance for people in the room a little bit. To me, this is part of the job. It's part of the job. Like it's impo- like Our big things, when if you want to be successful in, in, in this business, and I think the rules apply to acting and other um, f- other like parts of the industry as well. It's like you have to network, 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 network. It's one of the biggest, biggest things um, in the entire industry because all my jobs are coming through um, a personal network. It's a snowball system. I can trace pretty much any job I had back to multiple sources and and one choice of job in this case is really um, is causing it's causing your path to be very, very differently. Like, like it's it could go any sort of way. So it's a it's it's networking is is the main main thing, and 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 being authentic, doing it is a is a big uh, big part of it. You really have to. Um, all my friends are either actors through my wife Courtney Hawkins, hello, or, hello, or um, friends from work, and the it's a thin line where you walk professional colleagues and personal friends is a thin line and it's very blended like you want to we spend 12 plus hours a day with each with each other and at work it's a long time to be together i see my colleagues mostly longer than i see my wife at home yeah. so you want to like them you want to like spending time with them so they do become friends and it's it's kind of it's if you don't care for one another it becomes work becomes miserable so you were saying networking uh, yeah. i feel like that word does freak out a lot of people yeah. do you prepare for networking at all um, there, it, it always sounds so calculated when you do say prepare, and it's it is true. It is kind of calculated, and it's but but it is you have to have a genuine interest in people, and if you help that genuine interest in people out with some strategies like writing down information so you memorize them better, like names of children or preferences in food or you know birthdays and things like that so do you take notes I do take notes I do take notes if I find out something um, like a birthday or um, like the names of spouses and kids I do write them down in and your it's, phone or at notebook um, I, I, I use the yeah it's my phone my phone's contact um, uh, contacts notes section See, I I just think people are lazy or, or scared when they say that it's calculated. To me, that's no different than like, well, you want to make choices and learn your lines before an audition. It was yeah. that calculated. Uh, yeah. You know, if yeah. I if I go on a second date with somebody, yeah. the odds are the first date went well, and I'm going to remember some yeah. things that they liked that they didn't like. Is that calculated, or is that just being? Is that just listening? It it it's it's interesting because I I, I do think <sighs> there's also a cultural difference between where I come from, Germany, and whatever, where they would think it's fake. Like Germans would think it's fake, and I had to definitely adjust to this more American, like being being a little bit more of a hustler kind of thing. So in Germany, would it be that you just don't network, or that networking is this totally kind of chaotic, laissez-faire experience? It, it might ch- have changed over the last ten years because obviously I've never really worked in in that industry necessarily, but but. Germany, like waitresses in Germany, are rude. <laughs> it's just—it's really bad. <laughs> I'm probably getting. Hopefully, no one listens to that. I'm sure they're nice waitresses. I don't think we have a giant German but, audience yet. Yeah, but it, but it's interesting because every time I have friends from Germany over at America, they basically think all the waiters or people at grocery stores are fake. They're being fake friendly, and it's not true. It's being professional. 
It's being professional. I totally disagree with that assessment. But um, it's also cultural norms that it's yeah. like it's normal to be friendly. Yeah. In certain places, it's normal to keep your distance yes. and it's respectful in others. I, I think for me, it's it's a life style change in a way. If you want to, for example, we're in Hollywood, if you want to lose weight, you know, if you start going to, um, in the beginning, it's a real effort to go do, do a workout, diet or yeah. do a workout or whatever. Yeah. And eventually it becomes a habit in a way. And I think it's similar in a way, the way you talk to people is like, okay, I find out some information about someone in a, in a pleasant conversation and then I remember that birthday and I say I just write an email like happy birthday or whatever it's friendly yes is it, is it mostly calculated in the beginning but then a year later you get invited to a Thanksgiving post Thanksgiving party and you go there and then you have coffee and suddenly you are friends so I think a lot of the calculated has to do with like you like yourself, he, right? I, I do like myself, yeah. I th- and like, I think yeah. you have no problem saying that without worrying what that sounds like. Like, I like myself. Yeah. To me, the people who are good at networking like themselves. Cause it, so it's not shitty if I bring myself to a conversation. But yeah. if I need to like plan a version of me that is curated for you because maybe I don't like myself as much, yeah. I think that that can be at the root of it sometimes. And, and you, can't, you can't show... A, 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 it's all about... You can't have a, a short term goal you can't write I get these emails like really love your work what does that mean yeah um you know do you have a job here's my resume it's like okay it's not this is not working and the same thing is like when I when I meet people it's really not that you're trying to go for something the goal is the connection the goal is making a connection the goal is not getting something out of it if something years later comes out of that that's a great thing but you by then probably cultivated a friendship that is worthwhile to begin with, you know? And if this is anything in life, when you made a friend, even in in high school or whatever, isn't that calculated and you want to have someone yeah. in your life? And, you know. I mean, it's, it's all a social game. Yeah. The more you think about it, the yeah. more there's a plan. So we've talked about some of the things that were like natural for you. What did, what did you have to get better at? What did you, were there any like really tough lessons that took a while to learn? I think the, the biggest challenge, apart from the work hours and especially when once you have a family and things like that and just being away um, and this year I was first time I was abroad for a few months yeah, now. you missed a fantasy football draft I, I did and I, I was really my daughter's um, second birthday no but let's talk about the fantasy football <laughs> yes, we should. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I have a bad season you know that I beat you so anyway. you did beat me um, <laughs> no but okay so the hours yeah. are tough but besides the hours are tough, that, but the, main, the to... main the main thing I think the biggest struggle in terms of because it was so foreign, is playing the political game, which is part of the the personality thing. But um, but ho- Hollywood has no clear um, power structures, uh, as you would know in a company where there's CEOs and managers and workers and um, decisions are being made top to bottom. That that does happen, but a director might not have, even though powerful, there might be a producer and a studio head. And the director and the studio head and the and the producer they all are sort of on the same level. Mm-hmm. Like you can look up the IMDb 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 power meter or whatever that star meter, and maybe figure out decisions through that. But no one does that. It's it's yeah. everybody thinks they have cloud, and so most of it is negotiable. And as an editor, especially, you sit in the hot seat. You're usually hired by the director. Mm-hmm. The the check is cut by the studio. 
Yep. And the producers, there's creative producers that usually hire the director as well. The producers usually bring the project to the studio. Mm-hmm. The stu- then there's also, if the studio is not the distributor, there's also another entity that has power. If a, if a distributor uh, puts 20, 30 million dollars in marketing, mm-hmm. they have a say. Yeah. So, so Richard Halsey, who was another one of my mentors who I worked with in the beginning, Cut Rocky, um, he said, like, who has Final Cut? The person who buys your movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, like, navigating those personalities and those power struggles that happen, unfortunately, way too often in Hollywood movies. Um, well, I mean, of course, they're so expensive. Yeah. So many people's careers feel on the line. Yeah. So so that's a little bit of a problem like because you 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 need to have your directors back but when the studio comes down or um and wants you to make changes you need to find ways to make those changes or make the studio happy without alienating your director and if the, there is a dead end it can, you can get fired. It's absolutely possible that the studio will just cut you because they can't fire the director. Mm-hmm. Um, he's well protected through the DGA and um, and this is nothing personal. It's business. It just makes sense. Like You want someone who is not bound to that director's loyalty Yeah, and then someone else gets to do what the other editor would have done perfectly well if he had had a mandate, but those are the struggles that you you face. And um, if you there's there's a saying: if you haven't been fired, then you haven't worked long enough. I haven't fi- been fired yet. So. Oh, okay, well, I'll hire you onto something and change that. Um, but was there anything artistic or technical? Because I, I love that answer. That's a really fair answer. But that again goes back to kind of the the socio yeah yeah um, sociological element of it. I think technically it, it's mostly about experience. Um, every single movie has new challenges. Um, You start out not editing, you start out as an assistant editor, so there's a lot of technical knowledge that you have to pick up. Um, There's the little nerdy elements to that camera codex and workflows and then how to ingest footage and how to prep footage, how to export footage and, you know, not screw that up. Um, Technically, I think what the thing that I, the question I fear the most on any movie is like, oh, can you cut a teaser trailer? Real Ooh. quick, it's like that's a person's job. I already have a job. My job is cutting this movie. Yeah. I, that's a full time job. We are asking me to yeah, they're trailer houses do another that do that. job on the same job. I, and I'm, I'm also a little. It's something that I'm I'm not naturally good at. Like I, it's definitely something I'm fascinated by, and I, I actually enjoy the challenge to a degree. But it's definitely something if I'm being told to start it, like. Because it's one of those things, the beautiful thing about scripted editing is that you work off of something. Like yeah. you, you have a blueprint, technically. The, it doesn't mean it's not creative, but, but you have a blueprint. Um, a trailer structure is your creation. It's, yeah. it's, you have to come up, you can pull things, but you have to come up with the beginning, middle, and end and create an arc. And it's a total art form that I deeply, I'm deeply impressed by, but I'm, I can't confidently say that I'm good at it. <laughs> and so you don't, uh, you don't have an agent or anything. I do like, have an agent. You yeah. do have an yeah, agent. I'm represented by Gersh. So when something like when they drop a, well, now you're going to do the teaser trailer for us, are you able to go to your agent and say, well, can you negotiate something for this me? This is tricky. You don't usually, because it's normally when they ask you for that, it's usually on more like indie movies. If you're on a big movie, they have departments, studio, like marketing departments that take that care. It's usually take care of that. It's usually more um, like indie features that need something for internal purposes necessary. It doesn't really go out. Um, I've only been on one movie on Earth to Echo. Actually, um, my director Dave Green, like he wanted, like 
us to play with the marketing. Yeah. And it was really interesting. And I got to actually, I did the theatrical teaser with him and Fun. the theatrical trailer. Um, I can't give take full credit on the theatrical trailer. It was basically a blend of other people's work and our ideas, basically. And, You're part of it. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, there's, but it's, but it's a, it was a very interesting experience because once we blocked picture on the actual movie, I moved into the marketing side of things. But that was a very, special case and um, I, I, I was it was it was challenging but I also kind of really liked being involved post movie movie sure so but yeah are you guys a part of a union yeah I'm in a union I'm in the motion pictures editors guild and um, how much do they have your back for this kind of stuff do you feel like they're useful um, for this kind of stuff, um, the, you know, SAG for actors is a large mix. Like it's how we get our health insurance. There's certain things that are protected, and there's other ways that that union yeah, is really like hard if, for us. If some, I'm, I'm, if I'm hired as an editor under the unit, and someone asks me to do a teaser trailer, that's part of. The, I'm still the editor, so yeah. I can say no, I don't want to. But it's not like they wouldn't step in and say like, this man is not allowed to cut trailers, you know, that's not in his contract. No, it's, that's not the case, technically. So you have an agent. How, yeah. how do you go about getting work? Is it their job to find leads and send you? Because you just said a second ago that almost every job you've ever had is related to some kind of social interaction. It, um, it, it is, a, is a, it's, I love my agent, um, and, and um, Laura Brokoff at Gershon, she, she, um, she kind of helps me mostly like negotiate my contracts, which is a, a huge thing. Yeah. And she gets me into rooms I wouldn't normally get in. That, however, is obviously based on my credits that I have. So it's like anything in this town, if you have a great credit, she can take that and sell it and get me into a door that I personally didn't have a connection to. And I am just arriving now at this um, um, in this place in my career after having just um, cut um, Rambo Last Blood and now I'm on Kung Fury 2 I can't wait um, so excited working title we'll probably change that but um, but it's now I actually have credits that um, people have that, that are name have name recognition and um, that can obviously uh, that helps Laura to do her job for me and can get me can get me jobs. She's gotten me great um, recut edits mm -hmm. um, jobs, basically where you um, you go in and you help someone out. And mm -hmm. um, last year I did one for um, um, Imaginary Order, which played the Sundance competition. Um, so I, I did like four weeks on that, doing the final recut until Picture Lock, and then got into Sundance, and that was really cool. And I wouldn't have gotten that job without her. Um, and she sometimes connects me to young talent as well, where you do a, a short film for very little money, but um, they, she believes in the talent of those, and um, those are people that I wouldn't know otherwise. So you start the connection. Um, so it's it they can only be as good for you as 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 your resume supports you. Um, but we've been working together for a while and I've been steadily moving up and that's part, definitely her um, effort as well. Yeah. I really like what you just said. I hope every actor who wants rep or has rep goes back and listens to your description there because I actually think that that should be no different than an actor's agent. Mm -hmm. I think long ago it might have been different where you don't have any credits and then we'll just send you out all over town we're going to make something happen. But really I think most agents can only work with what you've already brought to the table and we yeah. might be able to build something new from there yeah. but you've got to lay that foundation. It's got to be really strong and you've got to have something. I like what you said. It's like I got this credit now she can sell that credit. Yeah, a lot of people I think are looking for the agent to get them the first credit, yeah. and I think that gets, I think that misconstrues what the job is. Yeah. Their job is to sell you, not to create you and then sell you. Yeah. 
quick break to tell you that this episode of Industry Town is sponsored by Horrible Haikus, everyone's favorite offensive poetry game. This game is perfect for actors, entertainers, or anyone who's willing to just look a little bit silly in front of their friends. Uh, Horrible Haikus is available online at horriblehaikusgame.com. And if you are an Industry Town listener, you can get the game for 50% off with the code HAIKU50. Again, that code is HAIKU50. That makes the game just $15. So go check that out online and get yourself a copy. And now back to Karsten. And I, I think there's there's actually something similar as well with acting in terms of like having a type. Like I know like JRS absolutely like they always talk about, about it. Like, yeah. What's your brand? What's your yeah. essence? What's your type? And and obviously it can go into type casting. But uh, I looked at my resume until recently, until um, this year, where I had kids movies, Earth to Echo, Benji, like a dog movie, and with kids and a, a sci-fi kids movie. Yep. And then I had some like more like Sundance dramas for Bliss and Imaginary Order. Then I had some action movies like the Kickboxer reboot and <laughs> um, Escape Land 2, you know? Um, and then now suddenly with like, with Rambo and, and Kung Fury, the action streak, and I do want to do big movies. Blockbusters yeah. is where, I, like smart blockbusters is where I want to be. Sure. Um, so now I actually, I, I see my identity forming, and what's really I'm really excited about um, Kung Fury too because it's also very VF, heavy heavy VFX and a comedy, so it checks really all the boxes that commercial cinema kind of needs. And I didn't have much comedy experience before, and I've lost jobs because producers would tell me I don't see the comedy experience here in the resume. So having be cutting a, a pure comedy that is also heavy um, on action and like. Marvel level VFX. It's really exciting to me. How did that job come about for you? Um, it's it is it is the snowball thing. It's it's a perfect storm, and it is years in the making. And um, so in this case, um, um, my agent put me up for it. Great. Um, that was one thing. I was in Bulgaria to um, do. Um, Rambo Last Blood and there is a studio there in Ljubljana um, uh, Jaris Lerner is the head of the studio there who um, owns the, the studio and um, they rent out the studio for um, other productions to shoot and Kung Fury rented studio time there and they were looking he heard that they were looking for an editor and he said um, you, you should consider Carson you just did Rambo um, so that's number two um, then they asked my co the the I, I, I co-edited the movie um, Rambo with um, Todd Miller, who's amazing, um, and they, he was still there on Rambo. Um, I was already in LA, and so they asked him, and he put in a good word. Then one of the producers happens to be a childhood friend of uh, one of my directors, Dave Green, um, who then called up Dave Green, and he put in a good word. And so suddenly, there's three people putting in a good word. That got me the interview. Yeah. And then I had a Skype interview with Dave, David Sandberg, the director, and um, he happened to like me. And so I, I ended up getting the job. But Were you a big fan of the original movie? Oh, I was such a fan. I was so excited. I, I got to show that movie to so many people who had never heard of it, and that felt like such a gift. If you yeah. have not seen Kung Fury, find it on Netflix. It's still there, right? It's on Netflix, think... and it's on YouTube yeah. for free. And... Um, it's so funny, yeah. and it's also, that's an easy watch. It's yeah, like 40 it's minutes 30 long, minutes, yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Great. And uh, yeah, if you like it's fantastic. wacky comedy, I'm so excited for that feature. Yes. Um, so here's a question. Um, we've got a lot of, you know, I know a lot of uh, aspiring filmmakers, people making their first couple shorts, people making maybe their first feature, mm -hmm. and they think, okay, I need to get an editor if I'm not going to do it myself. I've been in this position. Yeah. 
And then all of a sudden, you maybe are asking uh, editors to submit, and you get a whole bunch of editing reels mm -hmm. sent to you. And I'll tell you, they all look good. Like, no one hasn't, I feel like very few editing reels on the surface mm -hmm. look really shitty. Uh, most people have gotten to play with some cool cameras. Most people, like, technology is fantastic. Yeah. And I've noticed that sometimes the reel's way better yeah. than the actual work, and sometimes it's, it's the Rosetta Stone to an incredible artist. <laughs> if you were giving advice to people hiring an editor at kind of that stage where they're paying out of pocket, yeah. um, it's not a studio that's doing it, and you're looking at a bunch of resumes and reels for editors, how would you determine a good one versus maybe a less good one? A great reel, editing reel, shows me that you can cut great reels. That's <laughs> like I, I think reels are great for DPs or production designs or they, like for obviously for acting it's a different thing you 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 show samples but the 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 good acting is in that shot yeah the good editing is not in that shot that's the DP's work or the yeah. director's work or the actor's work um, so I do have a reel on my website that I haven't like updated in two years um, but it's more of a credit reel like it's like look the, here are the look it's, a, it's a visual resume in a way but it cannot I do have sample scenes on the website as well so the, like I just say okay this is an action example of an action scene this is a comedy example or whatever and then people can watch that um, there's not a single editor in this town who works professionally on features has a reel. Yeah, it's like, just not real. It's so, not a thing. So how would you um, go about hiring somebody or whether figuring out whether they're just, you know, I mean, you're maybe not looking for an expert at this point, but someone who's really solid and yeah. do good work for you. Well, like, most editors start out as assistant editors. There are some ways to circumnavigate that path, but I did it that way. And so there's thousands and thousands of great assistant editors out there on uh, working on shows. And you can find out who they always are by just looking at IMDb Pro. Mm -hmm. um, find your favorite show, like, and like we do tend. Editors usually tend to work on stuff that they like, and assistants gravitate toward shows that they like as well, that mirror their personalities as well in a way because you want to build your career in the direction of the shows that you want to work on. Sure. So you might be lucky to find someone who has like if if the taste level on that show appeals to you, it probably appeals to the, the assistants on that, basically. So make sure you and like the work, and then it's a question about yeah, aesthetic. They, like, technically, they didn't cut those shows, but you're looking for um, a, a free editor who is, or cheap editor, who helps you out, who has experience in professional cutting rooms, who knows how to do it, and has had mentorship. Sure. And so I think you're probably in a much better position to find someone who is an assistant who wants to cut, and he's been able has been able to cut scenes for an editor, who, or either in television or features, but they want that credit, they want that Sundance submission, or that, you know, um, South by Southwest short film, because that will help them make the next step. So they're really hungry for credits, most of these assistants. There are some career assistants, there's nothing wrong with that, but there is a lot of assistants who want to cut and the jobs themselves necessarily don't always provide the opportunities. So they actually look for for things to work on. And um, free labor, is, it's, it's a thing that you have to navigate. Um, it's, you know, you don't want to be abused or, or taken um, advantage of. But for the longest time, I did not charge for working on short films. I always told the directors, put the money on the screen. Because for me, it was m most important that these directors ended up making a movie and hiring me again. And I've edited two feature films from directors whose short I cut. 
uh, and originally cut for free and sometimes they're then obviously grateful and give you something anyway or whatever yeah, stipend yeah but it's it's different when like I've done short films that my agents got me and they usually come with a budget and for an editor and then I, I obviously that's more professional and I don't negotiate that and then obviously I say yes to that in a way sure. but um But like for the first for the first ten years or eight years until I actually became an editor, I um, once I am an editor, it's different because then it's my profession that I make money with. Um, while I'm an assistant editor and trying to become an editor, I have something to gain from it, and you you have probably a good chance of finding someone who has seen enough and learned enough to find find something. But but the main answer is ask around. You have to ask for it's networking. You have to ask people that can recommend people. So and, break this yeah. down a little for me because I feel like most people think about an editor and they imagine one person. Mm -hmm. And really, there's assistant editors and there's other people working on it. Um, what does it mean to be an assistant editor? What kind of stuff is an assistant editor doing if they're not actually cutting it? Everything but cutting, basically. And and they they do edit um, um, if the if the um, editor is um, interested in mentoring. Okay. And um, I, I let my assistants cut a lot. I, I think it's part of, um, I want that to happen. I think the movie is not my movie. It's whatever's best for the movie. And I do appreciate a creative environment. And whoever has a great idea should get credited for it. You know, I don't have a problem with saying my assistant did this amazing recut on this. It's fantastic. Check it out. And yeah, that's great. But what are um, they, what's their day to day? Oh, what's, what's the day to day? So the day to day um, is um, basically. Um, You are um, you're in charge of all the technical under the hood stuff. You're the pit crew, basically. Okay. And the editor is the race car driver in a way. And so you have to take the footage the from footage. you get the footage from set or from a lab. If they if you have a lab, they they will prep the footage already. You will ingest it into the system. You will make sure that everything is there. There's a lot of paperwork that comes from set. Like there's a camera report, there's a sound report, there's a line script um, with phasing pages where the script um, supervisor will make notes from set that directors have and um, log all the takes so you need to cross check that the takes that were logged on these on that paperwork actually made it into the system so that the editor has everything to cut with and then every editor has um, a specific preference in regard to how um, they like their footage prepped before they start cutting. There is some special software, like there's a um, thing called ScriptSync in Avid, where uh, Avid is an editing software, um, where you, you can import a script and put clips to the words. So ah. you can actually click on a line in the script virtually, mm -hmm. and it will bring you to all the line reads for that. It's kind of cool. Wow. Um, there's a lot of, it's used up used a lot in, in um, improv comedy, actually, because you can also write alt versions of that script and then have it uh, have a written transcript in the Avid. Um, I don't use it. Um, it. I tried it. It, it didn't, um, my brain didn't work well with it. I have my own breakdown system, how I ingest the footage in my brain basically and, and navigate so basically it. it's managing workflow yeah it's managing workflows and and once you once you're out of the dailies process once there's no more shooting and everything's in it then you go into the director's cut phase and then you help with sound effects you help with temp music you help with temp vfx um, the bigger the movies the more specialized your jobs become then you have vfx editors and vfx as editing assistants you have maybe a second assistant you um, avengers had eight vfx editors Jesus. eight plus assistants plus you know, regular. Holy cow. It's a 15 people team, you know? Yeah. Like, but most 
most movies, the smaller scale, you have an editor, you have a first assistant. If you're lucky, you have a second assistant. Um, a lot of them have PAs. Um, and the hours are crazy. I remember I was, I was doing a show in North Carolina and, and I was getting right home from set yeah. at like 3 a.m. And that guy who was taking me had to drop off everything at the for the office for post-production and they were there at 3.30 in the morning and that was the start of their day yeah. and basically by the time cameras were rolling the next day they were going to bed and everything had been logged and was ready to go and I thought what a life that is it, it is it can be really long hours it doesn't it, it's not necessarily harder than it is on set a set work is Brutal, <laughs> and um, because we're at least like we're usually in an air-conditioned room and or heated room, you know, it's 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 not heated <laughs> room. Yeah, and and uh, but twelve to sixteen hours, and it can it can be be rough in a way, but it depends on whether we as the editorial treat the actual footage or if you have if you drop it off with a lab. And sometimes there's someone called a DIT on set mm -hmm. who will actually transcode the footage for editorial purposes. They might do that. So there's a lot of different ways to um, handle this. Um, but um, but the main other task for assistant to finish that question is that once you get into a place where you c get closer to the finishing, um, we do the so-called, the assistants do the so-called turnovers. So you have to feed the other departments. You have to get the movie in, a, in whatever form they needed to the sound editors and the composer and the marketing department and the VFX um, vendors. And that all needs to be coordinated, and you know it, it's a feedback loop because you have to get that back into the cut, and you build, you build the movie until it's all finished. You know, it's so. amazing that people are able to actually keep everything straight. That yeah. like what I feel like one file mislabeled could just cause yeah, an entire absolutely movie to fall yeah. Apart. You definitely there's been. Problems. That's part of it. Problem solving. It's like um, the one key sense. Like, what does an assistant editor do? They figure it out. Like, <laughs> you know, they have to. It's problem solving. But so it, how, yeah. How do you go from assistant to an editor? Um, it's 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 cutting um, a lot on the side as much as you can or on the job there's multiple paths there's um, the path that I took was sort of um, I was cutting on the side on shorts short films and then um, when. I, I was just finishing assisting on World War Z, and then I got a call um, from my friend Tyler, who was um, who just finished cutting Mindhunter um, for Netflix. Um, he's moved up at a Talk similar. About a lot of footage, David. Yes, yes, yes. Well, he was an assistant there for a long time, which is the other path. So what what Tyler did, he was with the Fincher editorial for a decade, assisting on Be um, Benjamin Button and Social Network and Gone Girl, and then cutting. Um, his first cutting was, I think, Suits and Tie, the the music video directed by David Fincher yep. for Justin Timberlake, and then he got got the bump on Mindhunter to cut, and so he's been editing since. And um, we cut a short film together for free, um, and so he knew my that I couldn't. We worked on Dragon Tattoo. He hired me as an assistant, so I worked on the go with the Dragon Tattoo with him. So we were friends. We he I'm vetted professionally both as an assistant as and as an editor, he knew what I could do. So he got a call to cut this indie feature, but he was at that point helping on House of Cards, which was shooting in Boston, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so he couldn't do it, and he said, like, why don't you um, call up Karsten? Um, again, network. So I got the call, and it was a German director, and he, he, he literally the phone call went like this, like, I don't know you, I'm gonna let you cut my movie. If it doesn't work out, I'm just gonna replace you. And I was like, <laughs> I was like fair enough. <laughs> I make sure it won't it's happen, and I didn't. I, it didn't happen. I, I ended up ended up finishing the movie and um, I worked with that director on a bunch of commercials um, afterwards. But, but it, um, Martin Weiss is a great guy. Um, but um, 
but yeah, that was my my step into editing, and I like tasted blood, and then I didn't want to go back to assisting. I really liked the chair. I really liked cutting, and so I. That was the other thing is like you have to save up some money, and you have to be willing to say no to the assistant jobs because when you're established as an assistant, you get a lot of offers to assist. But if you want to edit. You just have to hold out. And that's sometimes a little tricky financially in L.A. and things like that. And I was able to. We didn't have a kid back then. I was going to ask, did becoming a dad have something to do with you saying enough of the assisting? Um, No, the dad thing came later. But I think the the dad delay had something to do with me not feeling I had arrived in a career path that I felt I was ready to have children. So I delayed the kid's decision as long as my wife would let me. <laughs> Shout out to Courtney Hawkins. <laughs> Shout out. Um, so I want to I want to shift gears for yeah. a second. Yeah. Can you watch uh, some dailies or someone's you know the takes from someone short? Can you watch footage mm-hmm. and can you identify the difference between someone who's been screen acting for a long time and someone who's new to it? Hmm. Because it's one thing to say they're good, they're maybe not as good. But yeah. to say that that person knows what they're doing on camera. Um, I think there is, I've cut a lot of kids' performances and they obviously haven't worked a lot on camera. And there's raw talent that you just can't deny. There might be, this is not something, I, I think as long as you learn your lines and you show up on set and you put the effort in, there are things that are maybe, you know, will make you look novice in a way. Um, but but I think you, there, there is, talent will, will make up for some of that in a way. I, I, I've never felt like watching like if it's a lead performance and it's it's a good performance, I it's a good performance. I've never really um, accounted that to just like being completely inexperienced. There, yeah, like there are performances that need more crafting, um, but I don't think if it's necessarily just that one factor whether it's inexperienced necessarily. Um, and I've heard from I well I've personally seen that too. I've seen performances from Oscar nominated actors um, or people that. Come, the movie comes out and it's being hailed to performance where, you know, only 20% maybe was that great. Not to take the credit away from that person, because that actor, those 20% were absolute genius and, and deserve the all the praise. It also, like, the editor was really good and yep. they took care of it, but the editor didn't create the performance. They only focused the performance. So there, it's a team sport in a way. And I'd rather have 20% inspired acting and 80% nah, ignore that then 99% sort of like okay acting you know the way like you, you describe it it sounds like the way quarterbacks take their offensive linemen out for like a steak dinner <laughs> you know yes. like buy them cars and stuff so should an actor like take you out beforehand just to like make sure that you guys are on the same page mm, no <laughs> wouldn't hurt though yeah no that would be bribery I don't I don't know <laughs> see but you know the difference between calculated and honest and bribery and kindness um, so what are look you, you're an editor you've been a director what are things that actors should know about being on camera that you feel like maybe they don't or things that okay. are not taught enough in the school setting. Yeah. Well, the, my biggest pet peeve in general is just not knowing lines. 
I, it, it's just it's really frustrating when actors don't know their lines and you can flub your line once it's not that's not the thing but if you see clearly they didn't read the script um, it's really frustrating um, because it makes everybody's job hard you lose time on set shooting you it's disrespectful to everybody so I many just, people I just don't like I, if I don't know my job and this is knowing your job I would be fired and I I, I some people think they can get away with it because of name and I don't necessarily think that's a great thing. I like this piece of advice though because it's something we have entire control over. Yeah. It's not about yeah. make sure you have the best choice. You know, there's that's so abstract and it's impossible to measure it, but yeah. Do I know my fucking lines? Yeah. Am I ready to go? That's yeah. a really simple one. It's a it's a really simple one. And and it in 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 in, in general, like but that, but that's like obviously that's just basic in a way. Like for for me, what I find interesting in terms of performances, and I've I've had like some really great not not as an editor always, also sometimes as an assistant, I had some great people in front of me. You know, like Dan and Craig, Brad Pitt, and like Julia Roberts, and George Clooney. Yeah, hold on, no, I'm yeah, grab yeah, all these yeah, names yeah. off the floor. No, I'm kidding. I really like myself, as I said earlier. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but but you see you see like different actor approaches, and like for example, Ron Livingston, Livingston, who I, I had the pleasure of editing on Fort Bliss. Like he was someone who kept it fresh on every single line read he would do different it just a slightly different thing on each take and it wasn't necessarily overall inconsistent or difficult to cut but he always had a thought he always had a, a fresh approach and it never became stale so I think there's like a, a a big kind of fight between being very consistent which is really easy to cut but can become robotic mm-hmm. and being really really fresh and dangerous <laughs> and like you don't know what's happening next, the fucking uh, Phoenix approach or something, yep. you know, which is really exciting. But I'm pretty sure these improv stuff on the Joker weren't easy to cut necessarily. No. You know, I don't know. I don't know the cutting room, but but um, improvisational, unless you have a lot of cameras rolling where you can cut around, are, are, there are some challenges with that. So I, th- I find it interesting in terms of um, finding a balance in, in regards to being fresh and being dropped in, but being consistent. So you have still a performance that matches when you, you know, some directors prefer doing white takes, uh, the white shots first, and then going to closer coverage later. Some actors are better in the beginning, and you should do the um, the close-ups first. You should actually communicate that. If you feel as an actor, you better early on, like, just tell your director. Um, One of my favorite you know, days on set, I did New Amsterdam, and the character was was just going through horrible PTSD and the director came up to me when I was doing my makeup test and he just sat down next to me he said so how do you want to shoot it and no one had ever asked me that he's like you know it's like you're gonna be crying for like a whole day so do you want to get it all done first do you want me to start on the other guy you want to start in the wide not really worry about it what do you want that's great yeah and I was like oh wait oh seriously you're not gonna trick me and for me I was like let's just get it done I know I can get there I know I can get there for a while at some point, the odds are I might run out a little bit. So let's yeah. just get all that juicy stuff. And we ended up actually stacking most of my scenes that were in that one room. We just put them one after the other after the other, did all of my close-ups for That's all great. of them, and then flipped it. And it was easily, took what would have been one of the scarier days on set of like, God, can I can I make it through the whole day? Yeah. 
and all of a sudden turned it into something I felt in charge of. Yeah. Uh, and I felt like the director had yeah. my back. I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, so more advice for, at, where well, do you come down on the continuity thing? Oh, the continuity like, was my next point, actually. <laughs> yeah. Continuity is overrated, but. <laughs> Ooh, God, you just told a whole bunch of actors continuity is overrated. Go on. Continuity is overrated. Um, it, it is, uh, okay, uh, let me, I did, there is a but. The but is emotional continuity, not overrated. It's all about emotional continuity. You can watch Scorsese movie, and I'm very excited to see The Irishman, and I'm pretty sure that continuity of actors, like, hands and gestures and cigarettes and where the drinks are and how full the drinks are and where the you know stuff That's like that always been him, it's though, gonna right? it's yeah it's it's we don't really care like i actually realized at one point one of my favorite movies ever city lights um charlie chaplin mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it watch it there's a great scene at the end and i don't want to spoil it but there is is a thing you can spoil city lights at this I, point yeah it's, it's old enough i guess <laughs> um there's there's this beautiful scene with a flower at the end um right and I, I probably the first ten times I've seen it, I just cried through that scene. <laughs> I never noticed. Eventually, I saw that wow, those petals are the 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 flower petals are completely not like it's always a different flower. Pretty much, it's, there's no continuity between that flower at all. Um, I didn't never notice, and I didn't really care, and I still don't care. It's it's like if it's effective, it's effective. So emotional continuity is super important. Um, physical continuity, how you your cigarette holds up or things like that, it's not that important. However, there are some bigger things that are very frustrating for an editor and things. If you if you if you can get the big continuity right, like for example, if you have to get up to greet an, a scene partner or whatever, and turning always in the right direction like if you commit to a left turn do a left turn on every take this is a thing um, we don't train enough which is like yeah. when you're doing your blocking rehearsal be really present to that because yeah. oftentimes we've worked the emotional beats and we've auditioned the material so we kind yeah. of know emotionally those beats but we haven't been able to work out the physical and then all of a sudden you're on set yeah. and you know unless you're the lead in it you know you haven't been there every single day and you don't know everybody no. you want to make a good impression all of a sudden you're thinking about making a good impression you forget did I turn over my left shoulder or my right shoulder yes, yes. and you don't want to get into your head when the script supervisor or the director is like hey yes, don't yes. do that again that's that's definitely a bigger big thing and, and if you have a prop like using the same hand mm-hmm. and things for the for like that that's that's bigger things that I don't want the actors to get into their heads about like the small continuity thing but like having an awareness of bigger decisions in in blocking is a good thing obviously like, okay. it, it, that does help so where you're coming down on this and I'm sure there's lots of exceptions so I'm going to yeah. say this is not a rule yeah yeah but it seems like try to get the really big kind of tentpole important physical stuff yeah. very very specific clear and repeatable yeah and then the smaller stuff we can kind of not stress about too much and that emotionally fresh is good but it can't seem like three different characters yeah especially like it, it variety is good it's it's the problem as an editor for me is when the performance changes over time of the shooting and your close-ups don't match the mediums later anymore or the two shots so if, if there is basically you very consistent in the close-ups and then you make an adjustment later on then it makes it really hard and an adjustment cut. in your mind would be like a new point of view. Um, and if the if the perform an adjustment, um, um, if the tone of the deliveries 
change um, um, drastically. You know, you can do line reads like obviously, very, like the speed of the delivery, the intensity of the delivery. Like because mm-hmm. you're in, you were in the close-ups first, for example, and you're very like this is really intense, you know? Yeah. And then you're suddenly in a wider shot and a two shot or whatever, and you start suddenly yelling those lines. Like, um, this is an extreme example, but like, those won't cut very well. Sure. You know? So it, it, it's, the, the main thing is I think it's more important for the actor to be dropped in and not worry about continuity because that will get you better performance and better footage and let me worry about the continuity but obviously as a professional you'll you'll become it's the left brain right brain like you're you can probably be dropped in and at the same time realize i have to do a right turn yes you know so well, i think that's, that's being a really good screen actor yeah is, is, you were yeah. talking earlier i've, I've got yeah. to be technical and emotionally present and yeah. i think that's a screen actor entirely too yeah yeah um Okay, I want to get um, a couple last few things in here. Mm-hmm. Um, you also direct. I, I, yeah, I, I've done some shorts. Um. Is that something you still aspire to do? Is that part of the long-term plan? Um, I really, really do love my job, but I also love to create. I, I'm definitely not someone who can say that the set is my happy place. Like, it's very stressful to me. Like, yes. It's definitely... I like. It's the control thing. <laughs> like, you know, I, it's set you don't have control. Like, it's an illusion of control on set. And like, oh, it's everywhere in life. But, like, I definitely have a better sense of control in the cutting room. Um, it's, I, I do love it. And it's definitely something that I think everyone, whether you're an actor, whether you're a director, or everybody should do everybody else's job once. Yeah. Because it informs you in a way. And I've, I've been lucky to be on projects that have been very creative and very, um, and asking you to be more than just someone who puts pictures together. There's usually, every movie has pickup shoots, additional photography, and there's reshoots that are necessary, and you rewrite the stories. And sometimes that also means to pitch, and there is a writer element. I don't write the page, but I might conceptualize a scene that we need, like this is what we need for the character, and the director says, yeah, that's true, they will write it, or the writer will write it, and then they shoot it. Um, but I've been on set too for pickups, and, and have helped with, like, I really could use if the camera could move over and get me a shot here so I can cut this better. You know, this is kind of nice when you have the time to get on set and get something. Um, request a shot or whatever. But um, but in general, like it's it's like thinking thinking in a visual medium and being able to um, to think as a as a storyteller and as a filmmaker, not just in your lane. Um, is is definitely helpful, and I think this is the reason why a lot of actors are very good directors because they are in set, they get it, they also know the character work, and they pay attention, like a Ben Affleck and a John Favreau. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I don't think Ben Affleck needed to do Gone Girl, but he wanted to see Fincher. You know, <laughs> Excuse me. Um, he wanted to see Fincher in action, and yeah. he, you know, he's a great director in his own rights. You know, so absolutely, yeah. If you could re-edit any movie in the whole world, <laughs> what would it be? Oh boy, I should probably pick someone who is not alive. Right? <laughs> right? Um, any movie in the whole world that I, uh, I, I actually did, I did a re-edit of a movie uh, and never released it. This was like a fan edit. I, I took the original um, It 
TV show yeah. and, and cut out the adult section and just made a kids <laughs> movie because the id movie came out yeah. and it was just focused on kids and I was like oh I really always loved this this the kids aspect of that miniseries and I the, everybody kind of agrees at this point that the adult section is not as, as fun, good yeah. as the kids section so I was like I wonder how if it would hold up so I actually sat down and, and cut out all the adult parts and <laughs> it, it makes it for short movies like 68 minutes I think total like the runtime with just the kids so I, that was kind of fun um Gosh, I have a couple others for you. I was just getting caught up <laughs> thinking about it for one second. Um, going back to actors for one second, do you feel like actors overall need to do more or less in their performance? Are people giving too much or too little? Um, wow. Okay. Um, I think that's it's too broad. It really depends on the character and the actor as well and what you can do. Normally, I would say... Um, the the camera picks up on a lot of it. I think well, it's, it's it, I do say I would say it's worse to overwork it. There's a lot of actors actually that are very successful in this town who've been um, more um, more successful by being more Kuleshov effective. That's you know, what I was like bring just that up. like having the projection is sometimes like like there's a saying I think a JRS my wife told me about that shout out Courtney Hawkins um, it's uh, the the make the audience cry for you don't necessarily mm-hmm. cry yourself you know it's that there is a projection of the audience I, I actually this is one of the one of my favorite experience editing was Benji the uh, the dog movie because it's such a pure pure editing form of, like because when you when you work with an actor you have a footage there's a thought behind that eye like even if it's a mediocre actor or performance or whatever it's like there's still a thought there's a human being with a thought doing actually a purposeful take when you have a dog he just thinks of a treat and it's all learned behavior but if you cut it together with something suddenly you think this little dog is afraid for those kids and he needs to save those kids and you're creating meaning out of out of nothing and it's really kind of fascinating there's that alchemy um, again exactly so I, I would say less is more I, I would say less is more and um, the, the other things is like as actors I think you um, like filming yourself and seeing yourself there's a lot of ticks that happen um, with some some actors where you have to cut around like lip smacks, too much blinking, um, hair flips when you have hair and you just you know like try to get that out of your your face and like these kind of things that are that are um, um, that you will cut around that basically and yeah that's never going to make the cut and if yeah. it does it's going to it's going to all of a sudden make the character seem very anxious yeah. that they're blinking all yeah. the time. I think it's hard when we train actors. It's really hard to embrace the less is more because what we don't have are all the technical elements, yeah. and we don't have the beautiful lighting, and we sure as fuck don't have a score that's yeah. gonna pretty much tell the audience how they're supposed to feel. And usually there's other actors and people in the room, so it's hard not to play to the room a little yeah. bit. And the room is always gonna respond to, assuming it's good and organic and true, yeah. the room is gonna exp- uh, respond to more, yeah. which then you go into an audition room and what training is going to be there and also you want to get that feedback from the casting director and so I feel like we're pulled a lot of times to do more yeah, and really it's do less Yeah, I know when I started directing that a lot of the times I'd have these excellent actors doing wonderful work but sometimes it's like you don't need to I just need you to stand in this environment for a minute, and yeah. so uh, the audience can form an opinion on you. Yeah, and yeah. trusting that that's enough. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really tough for people to. It, it yeah. is. It is an interesting question, though, because it, like I just rewatched The Shining again, and 
everything about that movie is too much. Like, everything and in that all the performances is too much. are completely over the top insane, but it works. I get. I can tell you why, but it works. You know, it's like there's sometimes it's a commitment thing. I think Danny DeLewis is a good example of that too. It's the it's the go bold or go home kind of approach. And if you can back it up, then something really magical can happen. But if you're kind of just trying too hard, I think then it's then it's bad. That's then less is probably more. You know. Uh, last couple. Yeah. Um, do you subscribe at all? I believe it's Spielberg. Maybe it's apocryphal that it's. Uh, attributed to him, but I believe it's him who says that a movie should work on mute. That if you mute it and just watch the silent movie approach. Um, yeah. Do you, how much do you believe in that? Um, I, and I don't mean to say that actors don't matter. I don't mean that. But just no, it's, as not, a, it's not even it's a writing too. I I don't think like a Sorkin movie necessarily works on mute. Um, necessarily, maybe Social Network does because Fincher is amazing. Um, but but um, but I I, I think there is a. I love instrumental music, and I love like music with pop songs or whatever. And I think this there, it's not necessarily a, a broad saying that dialogue movies can't be fantastic. I, like before sunrise and before sunset, like there are beautiful movies that don't work necessarily on mute. I'd actually argue that I think they, they, they might actually do work I, on mute. Yeah. If I, I mean, I think you have to sit yeah. down and really commit to yeah, it. I don't true. know that you'd get it in one second, but if you watched Ethan Hawke yeah. and Julie Delpy walk through in the way that their body language changes towards each other, the way that their That's true. expressions, I think that might work. And they are yeah. so stunningly beautiful in that yeah. beautiful place. Yeah, yeah. Again, I don't think it takes the place of it, but it's something I've been telling my actors lately is um, if you're you know, all auditions are on tape now. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, can you tell, does most of the story happen on mute for you? There's actually a great thing to interject. Um, Gus, Gus Van Zandt? Yes. He does, he did this thing in a couple of movies back, I think he does it every time now, where he um, does a silent take on every single setup, Ooh. where the actors just think the lines. And it's great for editing because you actually get the best reaction shots ever um, you know but it's it's similar in a way so there's actually the one I forgot the, the you can look it up uh, the, the Gus Van Sam movie about the cancer patients there's a, a, a kids that have teenagers that have oh, one of the cancer yeah. I forgot the name right but there is an in on the DVD there's a bonus feature where the assistants actually cut a version of the movie with out of just the silent takes Ooh. so that would actually fall in and I do remember watching Brokeback Mountain and not being able to understand a single line that was uttered by Heath Ledger <laughs> because of the accent and it worked beautifully nonetheless so I, so yeah I guess, I guess it's true and I do watch as an editor actually I, I enjoy watching movies on mute because it makes you aware of the um, of the construction more and you actually see how it's put together and it's really it makes you watch a movie completely from a different point of view it's kind of interesting like watching on mute we do that as a trick in editing too often like sometimes it's good to just turn the audio off and just watch your cuts and see yeah, because, make sure that yeah. it's working. Yeah. Uh, last two questions. Okay. One, any advice to um, uh, first time, second time, new filmmakers in terms of making sure that they are delivering to an editor in a way that is helpful? Like, is it, that could be in terms of types of shots to make sure to get ways that things are cataloged. Like, when you get footage yeah. and you're like, this person did it right. Yeah. What are a couple things that would show up in there? Well, it's again, it's. A Complex because I um, it, there's the easy, the easy path and there's the hard path. The easy path is to coverage, you know, like you shoot by the numbers. And I think um, I think Pablo de, um, Picasso he he said that once. Like he, um, he his approach to painting was to get back to a child like 
drawing. And so obviously when he's uh, when he got to his later works and the eyes are everywhere or nowhere, yeah. you know, that's that's a deconstruction that he did, but he start didn't start with that. He started drawing pencil sketches that were realist. Yeah. So he knew the techniques and then started to break the rules. So I think there's a lot of times with first time filmmakers in film school um, that are fans of you saw that a lot in after Memento came out and the Nolan esque things. So everybody wanted to do like nonlinear narratives or Tarantino had a similar thing. Everybody's trying to do Tarantino dialogue. I think just learn the basics, figure out how to do put the do a test. Like don't put too much on your first movies like you don't have to go Sundance like maybe one of you or not is the next Tarantino and they can start like swinging for the fences right away but if you if there's a lot to learn in filmmaking and I think like knowing the basics and then at with time being able to break the rules um, is and watching movies like looking how Spielberg blocks and how confident he is with the footage and that he doesn't always do coverage and and it doesn't have to mean you have to do a four minute single take all the time either like Cuaron does you don't have to show off necessarily but you also don't have to do a simple 30 second dialogue scene covering them in wide shot two shots and singles you know like maybe that's something you can do with the single camera dolly track in from two shot to close up and out and be efficient and move to the next scene you know there's um it what i what i personally struggle with in terms of editing when I, when I see footage that is like over covered on dialogue scene and I have I start out with a wide shot that is six time six takes of a four minute scene you know or a three minute scene and then four takes of the two shot and then you run out of time at the day and then suddenly you have one close-up performance at the end that should have been your meat of the scene and I, I did actually as in as we my uh, Courtney and I directed um a short called Push, and it was a little bit of an editing, directing experiment for me because I, um, it was one of those things where I, I realized as an editor that when I have um, like wider coverage, like a, a, a big wide shot for a scene, and people cover the entire scene, and you got the six minute takes, I usually cut to it like maybe twice in yep. the beginning, and maybe if there's someone moving in the middle of the scene and walking out the door, or someone comes in, I cut to it again. So I, I wanted, we wanted to make a short that we were able to shoot in a single day. But with not doing normal coverage, which increases the setups that you need to shoot in a single day drastically. So that meant, okay, if we do this, we cannot repeat the entire scene back A to Z every single take. We need to really commit to only shooting parts of a page for each setup and then move on. So I shot wide shots, but I only shot them for a 20-second um like the intro outro se- section and, yeah. and things and I, I almost we almost screwed up at that <laughs> point like there was a moment where I didn't cover enough and it got really close to not making the edit Ooh. in a way but but it allowed us to mo- make a movie that looks like it was shot over three days in one day so being efficient with it it was more an experiment and it's it's it takes prep which is I guess the big thing there's this we fix it in post and we like to say to that fix it in prep <laughs> you know the more prepared you are the better and I think that goes for everybody, whether it's, I, you know, I read the script and I break down my stuff, you learn your lines and the director does its storyboards and whatever. But do you subscribe to like a, the Duplass brothers are famous for saying like, make sure you get a shot of your lead at a park bench thinking and driving so that way you just have like spackle kind of. Are there a couple like... Um, yeah, like we have a saying like cut to the kitchen sink 
in a way the 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 thing is there you should always get like inserts are really helpful if you look at nolan um for example like watch insomnia how nolan builds a scene it's really it's really clever because he shoots mostly medium close-ups and then has these tight inserts that is the kitchen sink you can cut from that insert to anywhere in the room basically and he's he's barely there's early in the movie in the in the police station scenes like looking at how he builds that it's very efficient and very quick and very cinematic and then he cuts to these super wide of Alaskan store like landscapes so you get scope and it's very clever and it's disorienting at the same time yeah. which that whole experience yeah. is but it's it's the exact opposite of how Spielberg would do it he would create a wide angle shot dolly in blocking the actors to the 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 camera like um, Nolan is an editing director more than a Spielberg is and so he obviously does editing too very successfully Michael Kahn is his editor he's amazing but but he he does block more in space like you know and not, not to say that one is better or the other these are artistic choices um, that are being made and and as up-and-coming filmmakers you will tend to probably emulate one of your favorite artists and trying to figure that out but giving your editor options to cut out problems so if you do that single take maybe spend the one five minutes to do one take where you yeah film it from a, a different angle you know <laughs> um, if people want to just see something that you th- is there any example of just phenomenal editing that if people want to see a movie and you're like that is cut beautifully I mean I'm sure there's a ton there's so many I, I there, there's incredible work with Christopher Rouse on the Bourne ultimatums like people are making fun of the, the handheld and it's fast it's definitely fast but it's incredible work and he's done other stuff like he uh, the, the ending of uh, Captain Phillips for example oh, which was uh, Chris's um, like that was his first cut, and it didn't change. Holy and shit. it's amazing because the, the the nurse in that is not a professional actor. And no, she was the actual nurse. She was the actual nurse. It's a, it's a great scene. There's um, the Inception is like a, a masterpiece of construct in a way. I think um, genre movies don't get enough credit. My uh, my friend Evan Schiff, um, who cut John Wick two and three, um, he would have clearly deserved Oscar noms for, but these type of movies don't, don't often get the, unless it's like super big, like The Matrix. Sure. Um, you don't get the, um, the the praise that you deserve for that kind of work. Um, um, there's, uh, there's, you know, like even um, there's classics, obviously. Um, the one that, the movie that made me fall in love with editing, where I realized editing was Don't Look Now by Nicholas Roeg, mm-hmm. um, um, which is just beautiful. It has a cross-cutting, scene in it where you can cross cut between two different like locations it happens in every chase scene basically mm-hmm. but you can also cross cut between time where you have the same actors in different time spaces basically Ooh, that's interesting. and and there's it's more popular now i think um jj abrams does it um really successfully sometimes when he when he has a mission brief mm-hmm. and we already see the mission go on yes. while we're still briefing it it's kind of cool it does a mission possible in an alias but in this case in don't look now it's a sex scene where we see the couple after the sex and during the sex and it's it creates a beautiful image of that marriage mm-hmm. and it's a very interesting um technique because you don't see it that often it's it's gorgeous it's a great great movie 
Uh, anything you want to just tell anybody that they need to see? Anything you're loving right now? Um, I mean, you got a two-year-old and you just got back from you know cutting two movies, so you might not have seen anything <laughs> I, I, recently. I think Frozen is really good. Okay, so all the all the kid stuff. Gotcha. <laughs> no, but uh, we did uh, we did see some some great stuff. Oh, we just saw Overlord actually, um, which is really, really underappreciated. Yeah. Um, um, shout out to Matt Evans who cut that. Um, beautiful work, and uh, I'm, I'm I was really excited about it. I missed it because of the baby thing in theaters. I wish I seen it in theaters but um, it's a great genre movie and very unique in its um, in its because it's made for adults with a fairly high budget not like mid-range 30 million probably 38 something I, I think I read which doesn't get funded very often and unfortunately audiences just don't see original work like this and um, it's a it's a bummer because it's a really well-made movie and for especially if you like action zombie war stuff it's great Awesome. Well, go check out Rambo: Last Blood. That is—is uh, is it streaming now? Is it rentable? That, I think that's just out of theater, so it'll be a little while until it comes out. I think um, Kung Fury the, Two is when? <laughs> it's probably spring two thousand and twenty-one. Amazing. <laughs> Mark your calendars. <laughs> Save the dates. If people want to stay in touch with you, uh, do you have Instagram or Twitter or anything? I, like that? I do have an Instagram and then Twitter that I barely use, but I, I, yeah, I can. I, I, Tell I do to me, check. and I'll put it in the show. Yeah. It's it's at, it's Kropanik, my last name at Kropanik is both Twitter and Instagram. Maybe I'll learn how to pronounce it if I actually just look that up. Okay. <laughs> uh, Karsten, thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you made it this far, I hope that means that you enjoyed it and that you will share this with the world, maybe on your Instagram story or with an iTunes review. Thank you to Karsten, thank you to Horrible Haikus, and thank you to our presenting sponsor, John Rosenfeld Studios. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Until then, 